Built Not Born, episode 45. I'm Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Jackson Duncan. Jackson Duncan is the founder of Focused Athletics. Focus Athletics is a nonprofit organization that provides SAT prep, mentorship, workouts, boxing, jujitsu lessons to Philadelphia's underserved, disadvantaged youth. Jackson discusses his no excuses mindset, how he always finds a way, and why it's so important to pay things forward. Jackson shares some incredible stories, like how he adopted his son through the program and how he and his adopted son, Zymir, were personally invited to the Super Bowl by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. One of the best things about this podcast is being able to connect with people like Jackson. If you found any of the past 45 episodes helpful, interesting, engaging, if you could, in the show notes today is a link to donate to Focus Athletics, which is a tax-deductible contribution to the nonprofit. Click that link and help Jackson help the youth of today. Because when we train the youth of today, they become the leaders of tomorrow and the world becomes a better place. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Jackson Duncan, founder of Focused Athletics in Philadelphia. And remember, life is built, not born. Jackson Duncan, welcome to the show. What's going on, bud? How you feeling? Honored to have you on. Jackson, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I am a founder of Focus Athletics. I am a senior manager for Odin Properties, which is a development firm. We started with 20 apartments up 11 years ago. Now we're at 12,000 apartments in 15 states. Through the company originally was how I was able to found Focus Athletics. Focus Athletics is a foundation giving free workouts, tutoring, resume building, job placement, financial literacy, civic engagement. There, you know, we kind of try to wrap all the resources. And there's currently 30 of them in the program. We've had uh, 100 and, around 150 guys come through in the last seven years, come through the program. So, yeah, so we found the program. It's now seven years later. We're running very strong. You know, we introduced the guys to really high-level training, provided meals as well. We provided meal and transportation passes. Those are our three biggest costs. Our trans passes, meals. We have partnerships with Qdoba. It gives us like $7 meal deals. So Qdoba, Snap Pizza, Shake Shack actually gives us 60% off, which is the kid, you know, the young men in the program seem to really like that. So we uh, we built these, these partnerships to be able to run this thing as grassroots and guerrilla and low cost as possible. So yeah, we're excited. We're on our seventh year of, of the program and it's got a bunch of really good young men who are uh, poised to you know, better themselves and invest in themselves. Thank you for sharing that. I want to get into focus athletics, your time, helping out all the disadvantaged athletes that have remarkable careers ahead of them, how you offer tutoring services and workout sessions and jujitsu classes and all the great stuff you do there. Uh, I want to touch about you getting invited to Super Bowl 54 by, by Roger Goodell and your adoption, how you adopted one of the kids in the program. Zamir, I want to touch base on all of that. Sure. But before we do, I want to start back all the way at the beginning. Where did you grow up? 
small town called Oxford, Pennsylvania, Nottingham, Pennsylvania to be exact. When you look back at your time at Oxford, I find 10, 12 years old, a very formative time in people's lives. When you look back, what did the dinner table look like at that time for you? Who was there? What was going on? Could you describe the scene? I would say the the, the best, and I'm going to be honest with you, as soon as I graduated, I went to Valley Forge Military and it, it didn't really look back. It was a kind of a tumultuous situation. I did have a, a grandmother who was just incredibly instrumental in our I have three, I'm the oldest of four boys, so incredibly instrumental in our upbringing as far as reading and culture. And just, she was really, really instrumental in helping all four of us boys, helping us develop. And yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I got the chance, I went to Valley Forge military and kind of got out of the small town. And it was, uh, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, to be honest with you. So, you know, it was, it was, it was there was some tumultuous, there was some definitely barriers and things that, you know, you know, lose my father at a young age and, you know, just certain things were in front of us. But again, my path in life has been kind of Valley Forge set a really, t- a real good tone for me as far as, and I really enjoyed the structure there and being able to get up and march and kind of, and it really set a precedent for me and changed my life. Speaking about your time at Valley Forge Military Academy, if you look back, what's the life lesson you learned there? You had to synthesize your life lesson that you learned there in one or two principles. What what did Valley Forge teach you? There was a retired colonel who was a TAC officer who was over our barracks. And just the idea of not accepting excuses or not making excuses for yourself. I remember as a, you know, 17, 18, just being like, oh, you know, this happened to me and this happened to me. And kind of would feel sorry for myself from time to time. The idea that you have to, you know, keep moving and suck it up and drive on is what they would kind of the idea, just really find a way. And so that was really the, the crux of everything that I took from my time there. And then I went straight from there to Franklin and Marshall was just no excuses, keep it moving. And it really was with wrestling and football there and stuff. It was just a wholesome, there was tons of, educators there, retired officers who invested in their students. And it was just kind of the idea that you would that you would graduate from there being a kind of a renaissance man. You would learn literature and you would have a retired neighbor officer teaching physics and you would have a beautiful library where you'd have access to hundreds of years of books. And it was a really good experience for me. That is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. How about when you look back to that part of your life, who was the biggest influence to you when you were a kid? Biggest influence as a child. It was a kind of a culmination of all right, a combination of a lot of different coaches that I had had, as I had mentioned with, with Focus Athletics, guys looking for that, uh, young men looking for that male approval. I was always constantly seeking that as a kid and like just wanted. So I had a collective group of coaches. My high school wrestling coach was really, I had a middle school wrestling coach as well, who really took me side and instilled and invested so our idea now with focus we're investing time into these kids right we're we're investing and you're also investing in yourself so i'm thankful that growing up that some of these coaches took time to invest in me and these are the dividends and and just kind of the idea that it pays itself forward so the idea when we first started this program was essentially a lot of our guys come from places where they're raised by mom raised by grandma personally i lost my father at a very young age so i was raised by uh, a, a combination of that i always just you want that that male approval or that looking at coaches and stuff like that but guys though 
especially in our program and focus athletics, they will go to the wrong place for that mail approval if there's not something in place to they're looking at the wrong guy to try to get this. So our whole idea, like when I go down there, I, I'm pointing across the street because our gym is at Broad and Chester at my office at 15th and Market. So when I go over there today, we're going to have a cardiologist that played at Penn State or a hedge fund guy that played at Memphis. So my right-hand man is a city treasurer analyst who was an econ major at Temple who played tight end. So you have all these young professionals who life after football is where they're at and kind of really just a prototype of how are you guys supposed to, young men that we have in the program, how are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to understand someone who's not just a functional member of society, but also is giving back or a citizen of the Republic, if you will. So now that I was saying with the guys we have that are graduates of Focus Athletics who are now running the program, those were investments and those investments are paying off now in the, in the idea that these next group of kids will be investments as well. they are making investments in them now so that it'll pay off in the future. You mentioned, unfortunately, you, you lost your father at such a young age. If you won't mind, what happened to your dad? How come he died so young? So uh, it's not super clear. There was alleged domestic abuse allegations, and my mom ended up in claim of self-defense taking his life. So I don't really know. the. Re- I mean, I was too young to know. That it was probably like, I was really young. So don't really know the specifics of it, uh, of what happened. But she did end up spending some time in, incarcerated. It was it was tough, but kind of if you if you love the person that you are, you kind of gotta embrace everything that's made you that person. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, I don't. It was tough, man. But well, he made it through, and through that through that stuff that that, that tragedy, he was able to kind of pick it up and keep it moving. You know, understood. Now, thank you for sharing that. How about so you graduate Valley Forge Military Academy, which is phenomenal. So, what's your next move from there? I ended up going to Franklin or Marshall College. The, the interesting part here was that you're super military school, then going to Franklin or Marshall, which is liberal arts. And so I got, as far as a formal education, I feel that I got both sides of the spectrum as far as like super liberal versus super military hardcore. Yeah. So yeah, I went and played football, did some wrestling. It was a lot of fun. Had a great education again, which I can't expound enough upon. I mean, we kind of talked about how tough it is for our guys at Focus Athletics right now with the education system in Philadelphia. And, you know, these teachers are just coming, they're buying, you know, they're buying their own school, you know, supplies. It's just the idea when we started Focus just to hinge on the education aspect was like, it was just a mentoring workout program. And then I had two guys who ended up playing at Temple going and saying, hey, Jack, we got our SATs coming up and we have no idea what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And the whole theme of this, you know, as you'll see, is kind of, I've always been a little bit lucky. I don't know if it's the universe working in my direction or whatever, but when they came to ask for the tutoring, I had just met a guy who was a professional tutor literally a week before it. Uh, I ended up going to a, an event for work. I met a guy who's a professional tutor and I you know, reached out to him. He's like, yeah, I got you. You know, I'm in. I'm your director of academics. So back to that. So that education I got at Franklin or Marshall, I value, I value very much. And it, it really, it was tough because going in there, not tough, but you know, I wasn't. It's a, it's a very wealthy school, a lot of elite. It's in, it's in kind of. I remember the first day I went in there, I was like, oh man, you guys got batting cages? They, those are squash courts. Like you poor white trash idiot. And you know, and at first I kind of I felt because I was working a job, playing sports, like working at night, bouncing and stuff, trying to just get myself through school. 
And a lot of other people had the parents' credit card. But at first, I was kind of like, it's not fair. But again, back to making excuses. So I was like, all right, I'm going to learn everything I can from these folks. These are the the who's who. These are their parents. You know, they, so I ended up, you know, meeting a guy who actually was originally started a, this company that I work for and got my foot in the door and started real, real estate development. So, and the rest is kind of history. But going from kind of the understanding that you want to take advantage of your situation and use it to your fullest. So yeah, it was, it was tough being the, 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 the poor, like I didn't come from those kind of backgrounds as a lot of my classmates did, but I was able to expound upon kind of figure it out and, and use it to my advantage. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. I love the batting cages. Yeah. The squash. <laughs> That's outstanding. I was so embarrassed. And, <laughs> you know, kids at school would be like, Oh, you know, it's my, my sister has her debutante's ball or like, do you go sailing? Like, dude, I have poor white, I have white trash. Like I, you know, and I've been able to, you know, kind of educate and culture and like, you know, learn some things as time to time, but going in there, I was just like, I have no clue what you guys are talking about. And it's pretty cool. You said, you mentioned you were in the Valley Forge environment. We're very conservative, very squared away, lockdown procedural, right? traditional. Then you go to Franklin Marshall, very liberal arts, open-minded, like the other side of the coin. And it's cool because it's hard to live life on one side or the other. Even if you look like politically today, the far left are nuts, the far right are nuts. The normal people are somewhere in the middle. If you're someone who's hard right, they're crazy. Hard left, they're just as crazy. The average person is somewhere in the middle, right? And you kind of, you can, can not steal, but you can kind of like lean, like I could see their side on this, but I see their side on that. It's great that you had both perspectives and you kind of made it your own and you went out and made a life of that. But I feel I've really valued the well-roundedness of my education. 100%. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, we don't, don't really get into politics at all. It's funny. I was telling you that it's a, you know, my son is I married that I was adopted. We were have, we were having a civic engagement course taught by Councilman Squilla down from South Philly, right? Mm-hmm. So the councilman comes in, he starts talking, Zymir raises his hand, he says, hey, I got a question for you. And the councilman's like, yeah, what's up? He's like, do you got access to any missile codes? <laughs> and I was like, oh, geez. And he took it well, he bounced off it or whatever, and was like, I'm just a councilman, man. Like, I don't have access. But this was Zymir's only interaction with a politician at any level. Wow. So his idea was, if you're a politician, that's where his brain went, you have missile codes. Wow. And the guy was like, nah, dude, I'd like, just make sure, you know, kind of, kind of make sure my district is, is, is doing okay. Let's shift gears a little bit here. You graduate Franklin and Marshall, you, uh, you start doing some real estate. So when did you first get the concept of focus athletics and how'd you take your first step towards that? There's a couple years between the real estate and graduating college. So my senior year, I was helping out as assistant coach wrestling on the wrestling team. Um, finish up my school. And I saw that a, what was it called? Oh God, like Bulldog MMA or something like that was opened up down the street. And I was like, it was an old guy. He had like, he was tough. You got to understand this is like 2000, called 2006, 2007. So nobody really was doing jujitsu like that, as you know, like really it wasn't mainstream. So I went in there and I boxed, you know, and wrestled. I did six amateur fights and went five and one. I had one decision lost and won an uh, amateur title. I saw the uh, picture of the belt. Uh, this is some research on you. I saw you standing in the octagon with the belt on. Yeah, that was like, like that. My, my, my brother always jokes that 
if I, if I lost that fight, I'd be selling car insurance somewhere or something like that. Not, not to, not to doubt, not that you know anybody that's a car insurance salesman, but like he said, my, he's like, if your life would have been significantly different if you didn't have the uh, the confidence from winning that your title. So during that time, I was actually teaching and coaching wrestling at Glenn Mills School, which is mm-hmm. formerly for you know adjudicated youth. It's shut down now. There was some guys there that were there were some good, really great staff there, and some really bad folks there. So. Some of the great, and I, I pulled a lot of that from when I started Focus Up, you know, to be able to, in, you know, kind of inject that into the program. And, and, and it's, there is a basis there. So, yeah, and I was, I was working security at Bam Margera. used to have a nightclub in Westchester. And I was working security for him and the, those guys. And then the opportunity opened in, in Philly. And it was a guy I'd known from Franklin and Marshall. And he had partnered up with a guy and they had some financial backing. And they were like, we're starting a company. And. And the kid was like, hey, I got an apartment for you. I was like, all right, cool, man. And it ended up being in Frankfurt in uh, a really tough neighborhood. And at first I was like, oh, gee, oh like I didn't you know, realize how bad it was being 25. So like, right, I got a free apartment. And the complex they had just purchased was actually my first development. I lived there and managed the turnovers, the construction, and the kind of what we do is go in is take distressed assets buy apartment complexes that are not doing well, clean them up, you know, make sure we fix the heating systems, make sure all the, you know, everything's in place and then, you know, rent them out and, you know, kind of make it profitable. So that was my first experience. And the best experience, honestly, because I was living, I lived in the hood and I lived in a tough neighborhood and it's still a tough neighborhood, but I got able to bond with my neighbors and was able to, a lot of times folks want to go out and do kind of uh, philanthropic work there's three things that people can do for the philanthropic world is time, talent, and treasure. Mm-hmm. So time, talent, and treasure, you can either invest your time, you know, obviously if you have a talent or a skill you can teach or donating investing so that people who have the ability to do that can, can you know, do what they do. So yeah, so I, I lived in a really tough neighborhood. I brought, I used to bring my, there's a courtyard there. And I used to bring my boxing mitts out after work every day, after workout and hold pads for the kids in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And kind of life's preparing you sometimes for stuff and you have no idea what it's preparing you for, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea of something as simple as being able to throw a jab and a cross and a hook and just work with the kids in the neighborhood. And it came to a point I'd be done work and there'd be six or seven guys, like kids outside my door at, at the apartment complex that I was working at, like ready, wrapped up, ready to like hit pads. And the idea is like, geez, these guys, and they could, they shut down like boxing from Powell. They don't have that anymore. You know, there's not, the outlets are dwindling. So, you know, that kind of was life repairing me for Focus Athletics before I had any idea that Focus Athletics is going to be a thing. Wow. So you're, so you're living in Frankfurt. You're basically hitting pads with the kids. You're letting the kids doing glove work. You're kind of doing informal workouts with the local neighborhood kids. You, you see, there's a real interest and not only just an interest, there's a real need for something positive like that. Strong male role models. So where's the next step? How's Focus Athletics evolved from there? So yeah, informally, like for instance, I started coached at LaSalle College High School where I was doing a big development project at Broad and Shelton, which is a mile away. So coaching at LaSalle, I made a lot of great connections. But if you've ever been to LaSalle College High School's campus, mm-hmm. absolutely sheesh. And I had a young man who I knew from Glenn Mills who was getting ready for a regional wrestling tournament. So I took him up there to LaSalle to wrestle with their heavyweight who ended up, I ended up coaching and wrestled at Franklin Marshall. It all comes full circle, but 
just taking the kid on the campus. His name was Derek, and he was a heavyweight. He's a huge kid. And he's looking at LaSalle College High School. Like, I mean, wow, this is incredible. Beautiful, right? So kind of the idea stuck in my head, like, wow. So our guys in Philly, in the public school and the pub, don't have access to any of this. And these guys are so far ahead as far as these beautiful weight rooms and these pools and these facilities. And ended up having a buddy from Valley Forge who was running some workouts down at Penn Park. You know Penn Park down by University mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania. Yep. Just like footwork drill, stuff like that. And I had a buddy. All right. All right. So th- th- remember the old balance of Bonzel? Yep. Remember next door, CrossFit University City? Yes. That was our first headquarters. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I had a buddy, Terrence, who owned the gym, right? Mm-hmm. And I went to him. I was like, yo, dude, can we get an hour of space or an hour, you know, every week? And he was like, yeah, man. And so we were, we set up tutoring in the upstairs. They had a little like attic space. We had tutors coming in in there. We had a refrigerator back there. We keep some food. We started having donations and it kind of was all. And then there was the first week there was, I think only two or three kids that, that showed up. The next week there was like 10. The next week I rolled up and that, you remember that big green sliding door they had? Mm-hmm. There was like 20 kids with gym bags there. Really? And we're like, I heard you get free workouts. I'm like, I guess oh. I do. <laughs> and then kind of, that was good, man. Those were like the, the golden days of Focus Athletics because you had jiu-jitsu right next door. And there was kids that would literally do a full workout, then go roll and then go box. And then as we discussed, having Uncle Ricardo there is like <laughs> this larger than life. Just like we have about three or four guys that train at Balance Center City under the, the kid Charlie I told you about who's in, in Ricardo. And actually, remember Jackson Galka? Mm-hmm. He opened up North Star MMA. And he has some guys that live, he's like right in Germantown. So he has some guys from Germantown that have been coming to train with him. And he's been really good with that as well. Over the years, you know, Aaron Meisner has real striking down in Southfield. And he opens yeah, his doors to some of the guys. You know, I've had Samuel Ortiz that come hold packs to the guys. Yeah. Bellator, champ, or Bellator superstar, you know, so. Next state good. senator. In P- hopefully the next state senator. And uh, he's really it. working hard for him. But yeah, Sammy, yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite Jackson Galka quote, he was working with one of the guys. Unfortunately, the young man ended up losing his life to gun violence, but he was really tight with, it was Zymir's best friend. But so Jackson's in there, they're holding pads, you know, and he goes, think about it like, uh, like Top Gun, you know, when, when one of the planes locks onto the other plane and they're locked in and they throw your punch. And the kid, his name's Chris, and he's like, I'm, he looks up, he's like, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I was born in 2000. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, you've never seen Top Gun? He's like, no, I have no clue. What, like, the kid was like, I've never seen Top Gun. So that's the joke me and Jackson always have when he's working with these kids. Like, you got to watch Top Gun before you can work with Coach, Coach uh, Galka. <laughs> so we still have our pads down there, too. We hold pads before workouts, and we have about 30 jump ropes. So I'll walk you through a little bit of a focus. Like, my afternoon at Let's see what is about 1230. So at two o'clock, I'm going to go over there and two o'clock to 230, you stretch, you get your jump ropes out. You have about 30 jump ropes. We have foam rollers. We have anything for kind of getting yourself preparing for a workout. 230, you're on the dot, you're on the footwork ladder, which is two feet in, two feet out, you know, the whole footwork ladder. Then do your explosive stretches, then your sprint, sprint work, and then you go into your workout with three or four coaches down there and we kind of group the kids accordingly so you probably have about six or seven guys a group workout 345 it's weights up 
you do abs and then four o'clock we go to where we're eating that day. Awesome. So today is, uh, I believe today is Shake Shack. And so, you know, burgers, fries, you know, I've been, some people are like, well, it's not very healthy, but like, dude, when you're a kid, you're a 17 year old kid burning 3000 calories off. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to kill you for that one. You know? uh, dude, you're doing the work of God there, man. That is so cool. You mentioned uh, Ricardo Migleris. How did you first run into Phil and Rick Migleris? Your, ah. how'd, you first, how'd you run into those guys the first time? He actually, uh, I saw him at a fight. I mean, when they used to do those Feasterville fights, mm-hmm. I fought this dude was a super tough Marine. And if he's, I had like, my beard was longer, my hair was longer. And this guy came out with the American flag trunks on and it's it, like, Amer- and I was billing me and I was like, I, I love America too, guys. Like, it's just like, <laughs> Don't, I'm not, you know, and I ended up winning the fight. And then I, I remember talking to Ricardo and he invited me to balance. And the first time I went in there, he was busting my stones in because I had long hair and my beard was longer. He was like, yo, cat food. I was like, what did you just call me? He's a like, cat food. You only eat cat food out of the can. I was like, oh, all right. And then, you know, we, I've been trained. I would balance guy ever since. That was probably 11, 12 years, about 11 years ago. And so, did you, yeah. for- your first time in balance, did you roll with Ricardo? Did you guys you guys roll right away? I I don't know if it was the first time or the first couple times. And yeah, no, you, you first time you like, and I was a good wrestler and I had good yeah. top pressure and I was probably about 235. I fought 205, but I was probably walking about yeah. 235. They put together and, you know, you know, it's so effortless and seamless and just like, that's kind of the joke now with the guys in the program. Be like, keep talking. I'm going to get my, my man Ricardo on you. <laughs> And, you know, we used to do, there was a kid in the program, Moose, he used to post those things on Instagram. He would be, he was a kid was about 400 pounds and he would post those things. Like it was like a, a WWE promo. He'd be like, Ricardo, when I see you next time, I'm going to smack you all the way up to Cecil B. Moore. And then, you know, he'd come in and Ricardo would rough him up a little bit, but that was like every week he would just talk trash to Ricardo. So yeah, he's been just, I mean, the kids love him. He had, you know, and he's again to reiterate the I'll call it tough love, but just like the idea, he doesn't make, you know, not making excuses. Yeah, you get thrown curveballs, and sometimes things suck, man. And you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of figure it out and keep it moving. So he's been a great proponent of that. One last touch on balance, the the OG balance on Bonzel Street. I mean, then you were there. You had Aaron Meisner, who's at World Striking now. You had Sammy O. You had the other Jackson. I mean, there were so many just awesome people that went off to do their own thing. But at some point, they were all in that room. Like, you know, sure. Coach, Coach Andy Russell. And, there, you know, there were so many MMA guys came out. It's just crazy. You'd walk in there, and it's like it, it was it was crazy what was going on there at the time. Uh, it was so much fun, man. Yeah, it was yeah. a really good vibe. and. You know, at that time when we would bring the guys in to work out on Bonzel Street, just, yeah, there was a just a ton of positive energy and positive role models. And, like, you know, some of the guys that spent time out there, you know, we got a starting guard at Baylor. But the thing is, with we had our, one of our first kids actually go to the NFL, got drafted. But also we have a kid just get his MBA, um, a first-generation uh, wow. American from Mali, got his MBA. But he used – his eligibility to kind of parlay that he had four years of eligibility at NCAA. Mm-hmm. He had a red a medical red shirt and a regular red shirt. So he used those last two years to go play football and get his MBA and get do it for free. Awesome. So that's really as we have guys that are graduating now, that's another aspect we've had is our bridge to the boardroom. So bridge to the boardroom, right? These guys are graduating college, football's over, but 
again, the, that, that network, right? That it's like the, the, the equity of your network, right? Mm-hmm. Like these guys don't have an uncle who could be like, oh, by the way, come by the country club. I got an internship for you. Or, yeah. Call my buddy Joe. You know, that the same thing. Like you say to me, like, oh, my son wants to, you know, study film. All right, give me, shoot me an email. I got a guy that's shoot a mini documentary like that thing. Our guys don't have that network. Yeah. So we're, we've been building that network for our, our guys that are graduating college and kind of really explaining your first job out of college is, is so, so crucial, right? Sure. You explaining like, you know, they might pay more here, but they're going to run your ragged or they might, uh, you know, this job might pay more in experience than it does in actual or the ceiling to get a higher in this company is. So we, you know, We've been really working on that and really kind of kind of uh, drilling down in that next chapter of having all these guys with college degrees that aren't really certain how to navigate the next step. So That is so huge. I just look back all the time, just in my life. I, I don't know any billionaires or famous people, but like you said, you have a network. Like, you know, someone you're ready to buy a car and like your best friend's dad works at a sure. car dealership and you don't, you don't get it for free, but you get a better deal than the average person on the street would get it, you know, or you, yeah, you, exactly. you, have, you have those little things or your friend is a pool and you have a pool to swim at all summer long, like little things like that. The kids that you're working with, they don't have that. They, they just it. don't have that network. And it's, it makes life so much harder. Imagine yeah, first generation American, also the first generation to go to college and graduate. So like, then you got this degree and you got a guy standing like, what, what next? I did what everything I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, navigating the job market. I had, you know, I have guys all the time like Jack, I'm working at UPS. Like what are you doing working at the S with a, a, a degree from, I don't know, man, it's the first job. It's more money than anybody in my family ever made. So kind mm-hmm. of saying, all right, nothing wrong with, with taking a job like that, but you have to, essentially use that degree to what's best for you. Because there's, as we see, which is this huge, uh, the great resignation they call whatever the, the, the workforce is, it's really hard to find right now. Mm-hmm. So you got to parlay that into what's best for you and your family and your future. And the idea of a generational, you know, when I adopted Tymere, which, you know, I adopted one of the guys in the program. He's actually, he's at Penn State now, but I think he's going to transfer into Temple. So we're going to visit a Temple on, on, on Friday. He just wants to play football right away. And, you know, that, you know, he wants to, so we're going to see, you know, whatever's best for him. But the idea of generational wealth, trying to explain that to him, when I first adopted him, we, uh, we lived in the 17th and Spruce and like, my I had a bachelor pad and written house and I was a single guy. He came into the program and he was like, basically was like, Hey coach Jack, I was like, what's up, man? He's like, I'm going to need you to adopt me. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready to be adopted. And you know, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, I've been at 13 homes since I was eight years old. And I think I'm tired of it. And, How old uh, was he here? How old is he? Is 15. He's 15. Okay. And and I'm like, oh boy. So the next day, and then I was like, all right, it's a big decision, man. I can't give you an answer right here. The next morning, his case manager called me and was like, oh, Zod told us the great news, you're adopted. <laughs> and uh, he kind of, he definitely, he willed it to be done for sure, which is cool. And was really, uh, really cool that he, you know, chose, picked me and he kind of executed and made it happen. Uh, he was living in a group home with 12 other kids, 12 other kids up on your temple's campus. And it was they had like locks on the kitchen and stuff like that. Just like a really, it wasn't a home. It didn't have a feel good at all. So I went to pick him up finally, you know, he had trash everywhere and kind of 
it was sad. And it was like, what do you think of a foster home? But mm. again, you know, right now, foster parents are such a shortage in Philadelphia. They're asking anybody. I mean, once I, you know, I, I adopted him and then I have a nigh as well. We did permanent legal custody. So I'm no longer a foster parent. But they still call me every day. Like, Mr. Duncan, you know, you're sure you don't want to just take, uh, you know, one more kid. We really, they had, there was at a point, I think, during the pandemic that, they were using like facilities, like a, like kind of almost like a, a juvie type place to house kids they didn't have rooms for. Wow. So you got to think that, you know, yeah, I think that that's really not going to be long term, obviously good for anybody to have to live like that. And to tie in with Odin properties, what we do, it's really, it's tough enough to grow up in, a, in some rough neighborhoods, but when you have no hot water and the heat spotty and the roof's leaking, it's just even even worse. So that really was what I take pride in with own properties, being able to go in and provide a really good product for folks. Wow. So you adopt Zamir, which is just amazing. You adopt him. He basically goes from Temple to Rittenhouse Square. He goes from Temple to 17th and Spruce, right, right across from Scott's Market, right? The market. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that neighborhood. What's the life lesson you learned there? The time you spent with Zaire when you became his father. I'm sure you learned as much as he did. What's some of the lessons you learned? I mean, it'd be a long, every, every day was a new lesson. And it was like, Zai was just like, I don't know, he walking around center city and kind of, you know, eventually that's with the idea of generational wealth. Cause I, I bought the house in South Philly. It was a triplex, right? So I, I bought it and um, explained to him, like we rent here in Rittenhouse. We don't own this, right? Like we're paying somebody else money, right? To live here. And he's like, if it's all the same view, I'd rather just move back to Rittenhouse. I was like, I bet you would, you'll spoil brat. So yeah, the idea of that when we bought the house in Southfield, it was, it was interesting because now it's a now it's a rental property, it's cash flows, it's all rented out. You know, I actually rented to a program in the city. It's for eighteen to twenty-five year olds who are facing housing housing issues, and they essentially give them an opportunity to go to school and have a roof over their head. But yeah, so we would come home every day, and then I bought the new house, Fifteenth McKean. He would, we would paint or we would clean or we would work on the house and work on the house. And I was cash poor at that time for a little bit and your house poor, I guess we'll, we'll put it, you know, and he always took care of him. And he's like, we need to go go-karting. We need to go to Dorney Park. We need to do all these things. We used to do, do that stuff all the time. I was like, Hey man, you know, this is kind of, we're, we're house poor right now. We made an investment and until we were able to recoup our investment, they always had, had everything he needed, but, you know, trying to teach him that lesson of generational wealth through that experience of, and he was great, man. We'd have a little saw horses up with our kitchen table was like a piece of wood on saw horses. So that kind of explaining that and showing him, showing him by example. And now he understands when he comes home and like, I have a couple rental properties of my own. And sometimes we had to struggle through. And now the long-term, like the, the juice is worth the squeeze. So sometimes you got to suck it up for a little bit in order for the greater, bigger picture and not just instant gratification, I think yep. is, is, is something we see so much. Like, you know, the marshmallow test. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. So yeah, they, the idea still stands true. And even more with this, these guys we're working with the idea of instant gratification mm-hmm. and just being able to kind of prolong that and see a bigger picture, I think is, is really important that something I try to teach my son. So Long story short, one of the one of the big things I try to instill in him is because he was certainly being a foster kid, being a he was a marsh he, the marshmallow test for anybody that doesn't know is you know a kid would get a marshmallow and if they waited for a minute they would get another one 
And if we waited, they would keep continuing to give them to them. Mm-hmm. And the kids that waited, instead of instantly eating that marshmallow or instantly eating that marshmallow, would do better in the long run. So mm-hmm. Zai, Zymir, his he was literally eat the marshmallow before it hit the ground because mm-hmm. he was coming from such a rough background and kind of trying to instill that in him, you know? Yeah. And it's funny that that study, they followed those kids into adulthood and sure. the ones that did not eat the marshmallow were like, like significantly had better lives, like made, well, made more money, had less divorces, like all that stuff that really like played out decades later. That, that really was a pretty unique test. Sure. Before we move on, wanted to get the story, how you and Zamir got invited to the Super Bowl by the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, Super Bowl 54. If you could share that story real quick. I yeah, that Uncle, awesome. Uncle Raj is me and, uh, me and Zai call him every time we see him on TV, but it was Uncle Raj. Now it was, there was every, I think every NFL team put in a feel-good story and the Eagles submitted ours of our adoption. And, oh God, it was, so we had no idea. We went, they were like, because the Eagles give tickets to Focus Athletics from time to time. So, we were like, we went there. Dan Levy is a friend of ours who works for the Eagles Community Care Program. He's like, we actually want you to come down to the field and check it. We're like, wow, this is, you know, they never asked us to come down to the field before. This is really cool. So we're down the field, the sidelines, and then we walk over and guy turns around and he's like, hi, I'm Roger Goodell. I'd like you to be my guest to the Super Bowl. Wow. And Zai, like, I don't, I mean, I only, I've only seen him cry like twice, I think. And one was his best buddy got killed the kid we were talking about and then when you know he just you know lost it and it was it was a really cool experience and the best the the the, the best story from that is i got these two buddies who are like pretty successful business guys but they're always they're like men of leisure so we get to the super bowl we had pretty good seats but the two guys were like well follow us and, and he's like just just be cool so and they're dressed real nice they're you know they walk down and apparently you can go on um StubHub and see seats that haven't been claimed yet. So we went down, walked all the way down. They finessed their way through security, these two guys, and we sat in the first row of the 50-yard line. <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, all right, somebody's got to claim these tickets, right? And they were like 12,000 a seat or something, like something crazy. And when the first quarter goes, you know, Nobody claims them. Second quarter comes. Nobody claims them. Third quarter comes. We're like, holy, holy smokes, we're going to sit here and uh, watch the entire game from the 50-yard line. Literally the best seats in the Miami Dolphins stadium just because these two guys we met. Because we, the one guy actually didn't have a ticket. He had a screenshot of it. And he kind of – we were going into the game because we, we had all our official NFL passes. We just – he kind of came in with us. So it wasn't a good – you know. Good thing to teach teach side to, to sneak somebody in, but I think the, <laughs> the NFL recouped those losses. I think so. It's okay. That is awesome. That's a great story. Thank you for yeah, sharing it, that. It was really cool, man. It was a really cool experience. That is a well deserved, man. Well deserved. Want to uh, switch gears a little bit sure. here to a point in the interview we call "Share Your Secrets," so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more. Certainly. And uh, this could be as rapid fire or as uh, as deep as you want. So you you, you pick the pace. What's the biggest challenge you ever faced? Ooh. That, I will say, I want to say biggest, but like one of the really tough ones was, like I said, losing Zymir's friend Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian was actually going to Penn State on a full track scholarship, leaving the next day, oh, the next morning, man. and was shot in the head and killed. And, you know, I got, I mean, I, I got physically sick. Like I got real sick. 
my my immune I was my immune system like it just I was so sad for him. And I went and spoke at his uh, his funeral, and just his mother was there, and just I mean the kid was just the most charismatic. Mr. Focused Athletics. If you watch many documentary, he's on there quite a few times. Christian Marche was his name. He was the top sprinter in the city. And yeah, he had literally was leaving for Penn State the next day. And that was a really tough one, man. And I couldn't imagine. His mom is just one of the strongest people. I mean, the kid was just, he was so handsome, charismatic, so talented. But the silver lining, I don't call it silver lining, but he had a younger brother, Xavier, so Xavier's in the program now. The crazy part was the day he died, Zai was like, I need $300. And I was like, sure. And I gave it to him. I would give him whatever he wanted. His best friend just got killed. And he went to the tattoo shop and his entire back is tatted with Christian's face on it. Wow. And so we have the Christian Marche scholarship we give away every year. We have the, so the younger brothers in the program. The younger brother just went from a 900 to a 980 SAT, which is pretty good as a junior, just 80 points up and just took second to high jump in, in the state. We've been kind of rallying around these, this family after his death. Cause dude, I was, I was physically like, I had pneumonia. I got so sick. That's horrible. When, when the, my, my entire immune system just shut down from just grief. It was really bad, man. That's sorry. To that. Wow. That is, that, that, so, that was, that was a tough one. Yeah. From your perspective, what can you, with all the gun violence in the city, what's the answer? And there's nothing easy. But what direction should we go to slow that down? Just got to keep, you know, I don't, there, it, it's really important Now people forget sometimes because I've had certain success with the community building with focus. Like, I don't have the answer to that or there's, it's, and it's okay to say, I don't know enough to give an educational response to that. What I do know is that certainly programs like focus athletics, there's another great one called Harlem lacrosse that does something similar to what we do. So there's a ton of outlets. And when we really put glorify and put a glorify going to college, glorify getting into a trade, glorify something like that and, and put clout around, you know, being successful. And that is when, in my opinion, we're going to start to make the change. We hear all about these horror stories, but there's also, you know, we got kids in the program are going to school, doing the right thing, staying out of trouble and still, you know, going to jujitsu and stuff like that. So there is a lot of good and there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of positive things going on in Philadelphia. But obviously you know, the focus is on the negative ones, which, you know, we have to glorify and put respect on the idea that we're we're bettering ourselves. We're, we're, we're looking long term where you have a long-term goal, whatever that may be. You know, college might not be the answer these days with we're trying to, we're sending, sending kids like Thaddeus Stevens to trade schools and stuff like that. The trades are depleted. So, you know, it doesn't matter, but as long as you're a contributing man, member of society, that's our goal here. So, yeah, I, I can't give you an educated answer to fix the gun lines in Philadelphia because I don't know, but I know we're going to keep doing what we're doing and hope that the impact is lasting. I love your idea about glorify, I like glorify the trades, glorify college, glorify being successful in the right way. That's, that's, that's fantastic. How about with all the stuff you got going on with like your business, with Focus Athletics, your family, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? 
It's a couple things. I really, there's a 630 box in class that Aaron Meisner has that I, you know, your phone's away. That one's a good mind clear for me. Obviously any kind of training jujitsu, you know, the feeling where you just sit on the mat afterwards mm -hmm. and you're just like, you know, you, the joke is you drive home with no music on and stop at every, every light and just kind of kind of zone out. Another one I really like is a nice hot straight razor shave. Mm -hmm. You know, go get your hair cut and your phone's away and kind of just, you know, being there and having that, you know, having the hot straight razor on you is, is, is one of my things that I really like to chill out with. That's awesome. There, there's nothing like that. After that solid training, when you know you got your four or five, whatever rounds you wanted to do were in and you have that feeling and you're just totally exhausted, but energized. I guess that's the only way I could describe it. And you're driving home and it's just, you don't need music. It's just the wind, open the windows. And it's, just, <laughs> it's a great spot to be, man. It's a great spot to be. Then I can watch myself bruise as I drive home or feel myself bruise as I drive home. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. I got, and, I got a great one real quick with just driving. So me and Zymir, we're, we're, we're driving and we see in front of us, of course, it's Aldo. So we start laying on the horn, like, and he doesn't, and you know him, we, we always joke, he's like the professional, like everybody thinks he, he's a black belt, he's like a hitman or whatever. And he turns and, you know, he's like, what? Like, and then finally he saw me and Zymir's faces and we were just laughing. So a couple of weeks later, you know, car drives by, play on the horn and it's Aldo. So it was like, it's funny if anybody knows him, he, he was, so he was, you know, messing with Zymir and it, it's just great that we've been able to build that community around all of our kids, but especially with Zy and there's been times, dude, where me and him were going to kill each other mm -hmm. and Uncle Ricardo will come pick him up and, you know, take him for, just take him for a drive, talk to him, you know, now that he's mature, now that he's older, but there were times raising him where it was nose to nose and Uncle Ricardo would come take him, help me as a single dad at the time, raise him, which was, we definitely have a, a village, a village and a neighbor, a neighborhood and a community around him, so. That is fantastic. Having people like Ricardo, Ricardo Miglaris, uh, owner of Bounce Studios in your life to help out. That's phenomenal. What, what a network you have, man. That's That's something we mentioned, we mentioned earlier, where he wouldn't have that network. You know what I mean? Like that network sure. you have is all of a sudden you, you take for granted the privilege you have of having a network like that. How about uh, book-wise? Is there a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? Hmm, favorite book. There's a real. There's one I really like called Between the World and Me. Yeah, by Tanahasi Coates. That's the guy who wrote Black Panther and our comic book and a bunch of other stuff. But it's just his him growing up. And he's a DC guy, I think, in tough neighborhood. And all of a sudden, it was it was pretty interesting being a white guy, being the having an African American son, trying to understand things. And you know, he went to Imhotep Charter, which is an Afrocentric charter school. So essentially the idea that it was, they all wear dashiki stuff like that. So I was the only that I knew a white parent at the school mm -hmm. and these people just were so great that, that the teachers welcomed me with such open arms were really, really just, they don't say, uh, sir, ma'am, they say like Baba and, and mama and, and it's really cool, man. So yeah, that, that book really, really spoke to me and you know there's a couple other ones but that was particular that i really really enjoy and i go back and read it from time to time awesome how about looking forward here we are we're recording this in april of uh 2022 as you look out to the rest of 2022 with everything you got going on what's the most exciting project you're working on now so as far as focus is concerned i'll just call it exciting but just 
growing our financial literacy program is where the team's working on personal goals. My goal is to be fluent in Spanish by the end of the year. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. Every morning on the train, I do a Spanish lesson on my way to work. So what I've been doing is I have a lot of contractors that work for me that are Colombian. So I have my Google Translate. So I use the Babbel app. That's the app I use. Yeah. It's like, the thing is, it's like seven bucks a month. But I feel like if you're paying for it, then you're a little more likely to use it. Without a doubt. No, without question. So I've been using that. And that's pretty cool. And kind of using Google Translate. So whenever I have to talk to any of my contractors or they're doing projects, like I make sure I text and spam Google Translate. And that's been really, really helpful. So that's my big goal is to be fluent in Spanish by 2022. That is super cool. Good luck with that. The the part of it that kicks me in the butt the worst is that I took two years of Spanish in college, but I would just go in the back of the book and kind of like, like, half-assed it, you know? Uh-huh. And that was like, dude, you could have learned a language when you were had a lot less distractions. I, now yeah. you're like paying to do it on your own time. But, you know, obviously, you know, twenty hindsight is twenty twenty. So that, you can't tell. That's my that's my goal right now is to be full in Spanish. But yeah. so they say the best time to do something was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, right? So, <laughs> yeah. That's really good. So it's going to be today. That's awesome. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah. How about what type of value do you try to pass on to your kids? Like I said, me or, or even, even like the people in your program, but what values do you try to pass on? Just again, to reiterate, being good citizens of the Republic. For instance, Zymir and other kids in the program, like they'll walk, they'll be eating something, right? They'll ball up the ball up the wrapper and throw it on the ground. And I used to freak out on Zymir, like, don't do that. Pick it up now. He's like, what are you talking about? Everybody throws their trash in their ground. I was like, yeah, but if everybody is a good citizen of the Republic and every intention is, is to make our, every, everybody's trying to better this city that we live in. That's going to really have a lasting impact. So yes, to mm-hmm. be, and if you do all the little things, right, the big things will fall into place. So if that little piece of trash that you throw on the ground, it might not, it might seem trivial, but at the end of the day, if everybody's not throwing their trash in the ground or everybody's being courteous to, 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 fellow citizens, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to be all right. No, oh, absolutely. Last three questions to be respectful of your time. I know you, you know you got a lot going on. One, if everyone listening could take one lesson away from everything we discussed, all the stories you share, what would that lesson be? I would say that, you know, no, no matter how big or small, everybody can make an impact or make a difference, right? Like, if, yep. you know, if, again, back to the good citizen republic, Everybody can go to your local boys and girls club, or there's a million, just Google volunteer. And if, you know, everyone, an hour of your time a month, if you can spare something like that, I think, again, we're just going to be strengthening our city and strengthening the folks in our city. There's a million different kind of opportunities to reinvest in the city and your community. So I really slow down and take advantage of those opportunities. Last two questions. This is a fun one. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If you could spend the day with any historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be? Historical figure, alive or dead. Whew. Maybe Teddy Roosevelt. I think he'd have a lot going on. 
I think dude, that'd be awesome. Do some judo with him in the White House. Indeed, yeah, there you go. How cool would that be? Break up some trusts and uh, go do some judo. I mean, go, go storm a hill with him in Puerto Rico or something. Yeah, exactly. Nah, I mean, that's throwing out there. Wrapping up here. Last question. Jackson, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? In the name of the best within us. So... Name. I got this. The name of the best within us. It actually, regardless how you feel about, I mean, the people. There's some people that are very anti Atlas Shrugged and Anne Rand and Ayn mm-hmm. Rand, Ayn Rand. Yeah, there was a part in that book when I read when I was younger about. I think she's like stuck in a cabin. She's waiting for somebody, and she like starts to tidy the place up. And I think one of the other people was like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "This is my investment here." Like you know, like there's times in my life where I've definitely looked in the mirror. Like, dude, this is not in the name of the best within you. you. You could make better choices. So just kind of really knocking in, knocking home the fact that like, and now even more, there's 30 kids in the program and these alumni in the program and the kids that are depending on me to be my best. So, you know, I, I, rise, I, I rise the occasion, I, rise, I accept the challenge. And But there's, there's some days you want to maybe sit on your couch or play on the phone or something like that. It's good to be able to, take some downtime, but also like, you know, every decision I make is affecting other folks and their futures. So just make the right moves. Wow. In the name of the best within you, you're you're the only second guest of about 50 episodes that actually had the tattoo on their body of the quote. (laughs) I asked out about 50 guests and you're the only second. Who was the other one? Uh, I'd have to think. Uh, There's one other person uh, that actually had the quote on them. That they actually they actually tattooed themselves and they had the quote. I forget actually forget the guest, but you're the second one. Ten years old, I think. I honestly, I, I when I was fighting, I was sponsored by a tattoo shop, so they would do, and I got a lot of my tattoos before my brain was fully formed. Which is some a lot of times I don't think. Especially for men, like your brain doesn't feel fully formed to you like at least 30. So 40, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes 40. But that is also in the name of the best within you. I think that is about as good a spot as any to wrap it up. Sounds Jackson good, Duncan, I first off, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I appreciate you having me. Sorry it took so long for us to connect, man. Dude, you're a busy man. I'd like to thank you for all the amazing work you're doing in the city and helping the youth and just making people like you make Philly the amazing city that it is, dude. And you're you're one of the backbones. And thank you, dude. Thank you for all your awesome work. And I'm glad our paths crossed. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate all the work you do. If people are looking for you and focused athletics, and maybe they want to make a donation online to help out all the great work you're doing in the city, where can they find you? Focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, athletics.org. Focused, athletics.org. Awesome. And then, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, we're Instagram, we're uh, Focused Athletics 215, which is, has a lot of cool stuff on there. So yeah, anybody wants to support us or feel a lot of, learn more about the program, you know, certainly let me know. I'm going to put all of the links that you just mentioned in the show notes, but Jackson, I wish you nothing but continued success, bro. Keep rocking. Awesome to see you again. Hope to share the mat with you at some point, but uh, you're the man. Nah, man, I appreciate you having me on. I'm just, I'm doing the right thing. That's it. There's nothing, you know, no, no need to thank or anything like that. Just, just put put my money where my mouth is and keeping it moving and i'm enjoying every minute of it so you know it's a blessing in itself man thank you bro peace out keep rocking man great to see See you. you i'll talk to you soon